Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Who's been enjoying our summer in Psalms? Man, it's been great. I've been learning through it. So I've been taking the notes and I put them in my Bible with the Psalm that they're connected to. And then when I'm doing my devotional time, I, I pop out the notes and they're right there with that Psalm. Because some people, everybody who's spoken has brought an aspect that I didn't see in the Psalm that they taught. It's been great. I've been loving it. So I'm glad y'all have been enjoying it too. Tonight we're going to continue that. We're going to be in Psalm 133. Don't you peek and look in your notes yet. If you need notes, would you do me a favor and slide your hands up? We made some available for you. It's so that you can use those as a resource in future days. You'll need it. As we've been praying for a harvest, it may just be that you'll be at work and somebody's going to be dealing with this and you're going to have those notes and be able to watch the stream with them and connect them. We're believing for things like that this harvest season. That's what we want to see happen. Don't you cheat and look at your notes yet. The title of it is God's Blueprint for Blessing. God's Blueprint for Blessing. And before we pray, I'm going to challenge you with something. If I could give you one thing, one principle, one key that if you utilize it in your life, it'll unlock God's blessing. Would you do it? One key, one principle found in three short verses. And because you said yes, I'm going to hold you to it. Let's pray before we jump in the word. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight. Lord, I pray that our hearts, our minds are open to receive from you. Father, I thank you that your anointing is here for me to speak your word clearly and for us to receive your word clearly, Father. We come against any distractions, Lord. And Father, we thank you that tonight we're going to leave here better prepared to walk in your blessing. And we ask it and we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. This psalm was written by David. We know it because it says it was written by David. A lot of the psalms, we know when it was written. We know what season of life David was in or whoever the author of the psalm was. This is one that, believe it or not, they're not certain about. They think that some scholars say one thing, another this other thing, but there's three seasons of life that they say that it may have came in. Some scholars say that it came in David's life before he was ever a king, when he was just a shepherd out in the field watching his daddy's sheep. Some think that it came after he was anointed king and then all of Israel was united underneath his leadership. Some think that this psalm was written then. Some think that it happened much later in his life, towards the end of his reign. His son led a revolt and a rebellion against him. And when he did, David was ousted from the throne and he had to basically go into hiding for protection. His loyal people went with him. Uh, David's son, Absalom, dies as a result of this rebellion. That is a message in and of itself. (laughs) If there's rebellion in your heart, it's gotta die. We can't let that thing live. He then gets the throne back and they think that maybe it was possibly written then. 
Now I'm gonna read this psalm and then we'll bust out why any three of those seasons works perfectly for this psalm. Psalm 133, I'm reading out of the Amplified. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil of consecration poured on the head, coming down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, coming down on the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So if you start in 1 Samuel 16 and read through 2 Samuel 19, you'll read David's life and you can read all those accounts I just talked about. So think about this. When he was anointed king, it's a crazy story. It's in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord speaks to Samuel the prophet, says, hey, we gotta get a new king. The one that's in there, he's gotta go. He's not following me. He's leading my people improperly and everything rises and falls on leadership. So we gotta get a leader in here that'll lead the way I want my people led. So he goes to the house of Jesse where the Lord tells him to go. Jesse was David's dad. And he says, hey, bring before me all your sons because one of them is gonna be the next king. And so as, as they're sitting there, Jesse brings in seven sons, one at a time. And each one, Samuel goes, oh, that's not him. Oh, that's not him. Repeated seven times. And then he looks at Jesse and he's like, look, I got this connection with God. I happen to be the prophet, you know. Do you not have another son? And Jesse goes, yeah, I got one. He's out in the field watching the sheep. And he says, go get him. Go get him. The Lord told me today when I was going over that part that there's some of you that feel like you were stuck out in the pasture, that you've been overlooked and you're in obscurity and that's how you feel. I wanna tell you that the Lord hadn't forgotten about you. Somebody may be trying to keep you down. They can't keep you down because you're the Lord's anointed and he'll raise you up. So they go and they go get him out of the field. Samuel sees him and goes, oh, that's him. And he anoints him with oil. So this Psalm could have been written in that season where David was just sitting out in the field and he's like, man, it sure would be great if brethren, me and my brothers could dwell together in unity. It would be great like this. And then he gives the similes. If it's that other season, he was anointed king and it took a couple of years before he actually took the throne. And when he first took the throne, he only took the throne in Judah. He was the king of Judah, even though he had been announced king over all of Israel. And what happened, just God moved all the chess pieces and the prior king's reigning family, God moved those pieces. So all the kingdom came together. All 12 nations came together and they made David the king. And so it was from that place where David was going, Man, for three years, there's just been division among the people. How good this is. There's unity. So it works in that season equally as well, yes? And then the last season would be when he's at the end of his reign and his son tries to steal the kingdom out from underneath him. He's out there. And when he's coming back in and he's gotten the word that his son has died and he's heartbroken and it's bittersweet. And from that place, he's going, Man, it's so much better when we dwell in unity. This lack of unity in my own home caused my family to be tore apart. 
It's so good to just dwell in unity. So it works in all three seasons because we've all probably found ourselves in any one of those three seasons, maybe all of them at the same time. So now let's, let's jump in. Let's look at, at what this says. Let's break down what unity is. That's your first point. Unity is, your first blank A, is good. It says it's good and pleasant. Now, I know that seems self-explanatory, but, but let's look at that. I don't like vegetables. I don't make any bones about it. Don't send me any emails about it. I don't like them. But they're good for me. And so my wife makes them and says, eat your vegetables. And I say, yes, ma'am. They're not pleasant to me, but they're good for me. A run through the hills in the middle of the summer, a five-mile jaunt, usually not too pleasant. But it's good for me. It builds my health, yes? So it's saying it's good. Letter B, but it's also pleasant. It's pleasant. Now think about that. I just talked about vegetables. Let me flip that coin. Talk about some cheesecake. Oh man, that's pleasant. I love eating me some cheesecake. It's pleasant. But if all I do is eat cheesecake, I'm gonna die unhealthy, fat, and very happy. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's a joke, that's a bad joke, I'm sorry, forgive me. But this says that when we dwell in unity together that it's both good and it's pleasant. Let's look at number two. Unity best happens in the context of godly relationships. Unity best happens in the context of godly relationships. Our text says brother, our brethren. That's this Hebrew word ach, and it means brother both literally and figuratively. So it's the people that we do life with that are connected to us by the common thread of Christ. Can I say it that way? So it, it could be your brothers and sisters in your own home. Or in your own home, it could be your, your, your wife, your husband, your own children, because through the common thread of Christ, my wife is also my sister. I know that sounds crazy, but just work with me on that. We're connected by the common thread of Christ. So this is what we're looking at, all those relationships. Now let's look at unity described, number three. Unity described, he uses his simile here to describe it. It's like the precious oil of consecration poured on the head, coming down on the beard, even the the beard of Aaron, coming down upon the edge of his priestly robes, consecrating the whole body. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. We just talked about that. Let's look at verse two, oil of consecration. The oil of consecration, you can read about that. I gave you a scripture reference in your notes in Exodus 30, 23 through 30. Here's the primary thing I want you to know about that oil. There's five ingredients in it. The way that it's listed in Exodus, it actually says that the primary ingredient is oil. That's powerful in and of itself because every time we see oil in the Old Testament, it represents the Holy Spirit. Again, that common thread. And then there was four more ingredients that they mixed into it in equal parts. So five different ingredients blended together and they had one purpose, to consecrate the temple and God's people. That's all it could be used for. If you read the text, it says if anybody reproduces it for anything else, they gotta die. It was a real serious thing. God took it very, very seriously. Five things blended together for one purpose. And it would be poured over the high priest's head, that's Aaron, And the other priest just got sprinkled with it, but the head, the leader, he got 
covered in it. And this wonderful smelling oil would then run down over him and it covered his beard and it covered his robes. He had a big old bushy beard like Tim Rex, a real man beard, you know what I'm saying? So five ingredients, one purpose. Letter B, let's talk about those mountains. What's up with that? Says the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion. What in the world do mountains and hills have to do with unity? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mount Hermon is in the northernmost part of Israel. Back then, Israel was in control of the whole mountain. Now it looks a little different. And the highest peak on Mount Hermon is uh, somewhere between 9,200 and 9,800 feet. It is the highest point. Yes, ma'am. Oh, sorry. It's the highest point. The hills of Zion are in the southern part. Okay, keep that in mind. They're in the southern part. And the southern part of Israel is more desert. It's more arid. So your blanks for number one there are Mount Hermon is fertile due to moisture. And Zion is arid and dry. So it talks about that moisture that comes down. If you could picture it, Mount Hermon has snow on it 24-7, 365 every single year, every single day, at some level, there's snow on Mount Hermon. And because of the way the climate changes and how tall it is, there is dew on Mount Hermon all the time. If you look up Mount Hermon and look at a picture of it, at the foot of Mount Hermon are three tributaries that all come together into one. Look at that unity. We talk about the Trinity. Three tributaries all together into one, and they get fed by the dew and the melting snow that runs down Mount Hermon They then collect into the Sea of Galilee, this big, huge pool. Then the Sea of Galilee coming, one outlet coming out of it, the Jordan River, which brings all the life-giving water to Jerusalem, the hills of Zion. He says, man, all this stuff collects together. It moves down. It brings life. But then it does something else. As water evaporates out of the Jordan during different seasons, It then evaporates, it condenses back in the clouds, and guess where the clouds go? Back to Mount Hermon. And they deposit the moisture back down on the mountain again. It's a life-giving cycle that never, ever stops. It's self-feeding, and it takes life with it everywhere that it goes. And that's what David's talking about. That's what he's talking about. So now that we've talked about that simile, let's look at unity defined. Unity defined. Defined. This would be number four. Miriam Webster says it's a condition of harmony. I'm not smart enough to know exactly what harmony was. I just know when I sing, I get told I don't have it. So I'll give you a synonym for unity. It's actually the word harmony. So I asked Pastor David and Pastor Lemoyne, some of y'all don't know this, that man over there is a singer. He really is. So I asked them, help me understand this harmony. And they told me way too much for my little brain to comprehend. I was like, can't I just get a hammer and hit something? I don't even know what y'all are saying. (laughs) So I'm gonna try to condense it into something that made sense to me. It's an arrangement of different notes on key in unison to bring full and rich expression to a song. It's bass singing bass, soprano singing soprano, tenor singing tenor, but all together, same song, same direction, but they have to be together in unity. Otherwise, it doesn't sound like harmony. It sounds like me when I sing. Or how about this for you guys? It's an offensive line. And all the plays go out correctly. The quarterback does his job. 
Everybody on the line does their job. Tony Romo drops back into the pocket. He throws a touchdown. We're calling those things to be not as though they were. (laughs) That's harmony when everybody does their part. The quarterback doesn't go, I'm done playing ball. And the center snaps it and then there's all this chaos. It's not that. So that's what this harmony is. That's what that unity is. Number five, the outcome of living in unity is God's commanded blessing. Verse three says it. Rob Bellamy's not saying it. Verse three says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Some translations say he has commanded his blessing. Where? Where brethren dwell in unity. One thing, live in unity, God's commanded blessing. Now we have some keys to apply to make that work to see what that looks like because sometimes we may have a bad understanding of what we think unity really is. But if that's where he commands his blessing, then let's flip that coin. Think on this. Disunity would then be a roadblock to living a blessed life, yes? If God commands his blessing where there's unity and we're not living in unity, then it's a roadblock for the blessing. And that's something that we wanna deal with. We all wanna walk in the blessing. We need it. When we walk in the blessing, then we get to go be part of the, we get to go gather people in. We become harvesters. And they look at us and go, man, that's awesome. They're blessed. And we go, yeah, you want some? It's that simple. So we want to walk in unity. So how do we do that? How do we accomplish that? Let's, let's look at some of these things, some keys that we can look at to walk in unity. Number six, unity is a choice. Unity is a conscious choice that we can make. We have to choose to live in it. It, do, it, doesn't just, it doesn't just happen. It's an intentional thing that we do. And now I'm gonna give you a few ways that we can begin to choose unity, okay? Letter A, we unify around a mission. You can unify around a mission. Here at Tree of Life, our mission is to connect people to the life, love, and power of Jesus Christ. That's a great mission. We may not agree on what song we sang. We may not agree on the color we're gonna paint the walls in our new children's building. But those are just opinions and that's no big deal. We can unify around the mission. How about in your home with my wife? We have a mission to be one. Everything else falls from that place. We wanna be one and when we, if unity gets broken, We stop and go, let's unify around this mission. We're not being one. Your opinion may be different, mine may be different. Let's sit down and talk about how those two things can come together to accomplish our mission, to be one. And then from that place, we have a mission for our kids. It's real simple. We wanna raise godly kids that change the world and aren't changed by the world. I have a way to do it. She has her own input on it. She has her part. I have my part. We sit down and whether it's discipline or what activities they can do, it's all unified around that mission. I will tell you that if you don't have a mission for your home and a vision for your home, you need to get one. It's a great book. It's called First Team Dad. It's written by a guy named J. Drew Pittman, First Team Dad. If you're a single mom, You can read it too. It's a phenomenal book. It's at the end of your notes. I gave you some resources. Great book. Unity, remember this. Unity utilizes diversity to accomplish a mission. 
My wife and I don't think the same. We don't talk the same. We don't act the same. But our diversity works together. That's why the word says in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, we're a body. We each have a part to play. When each part does its part in unity, then the body ministers. It's powerful. Hmm. So get a mission if you don't have one yet. Letter B, this one's gonna sting a touch. You gotta die to self. You gotta die to self. There's no other way to do it. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Old guy's gotta die. You gotta put the new guy on. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, the ones that were already following him, the ones that said they wanted to be taught by him and be like him, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They knew what that meant. The cross only had, it's a tool with one use, death of flesh. That's all the cross was good for. When he said that, he was saying, you gotta die to self. And I know that that's a hard one. I really do. That may look different for all of us. Our flesh will look different, every single one of us, but every single one of us have to put it on the cross. I'll let you into, into my home for a minute. This is something that my wife will chuckle out loud when I say it. Uh, I have a tendency to argue my case with passion to be right. I know none of y'all like to be right all the time. I know that's nobody in here. It's just me, it's all right. I'm gonna ask your wife after church, I'm gonna ask. Um, can I tell you that if we're willing to break godly unity to be right, we're wrong. You can be right and be oh so wrong. Letter C, walk in the spirit, Ephesians 4, two through six. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. Look at all that oneness. One, 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 one. All through the unity of the spirit. No matter what is going on around us, we can always and should always walk in unity through the spirit in the bond of peace. We have to walk in the spirit. Uh, there's a resource about that on your last page, by the way. So let's look at some things that break unity. Number seven, unity breakers. Unity breakers, number seven. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's on the tell side of that scripture we just read about unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. Don't look all angry at me. Most of these are very self-explanatory, but you know what? I dug into them and got some definitions and I put them down there for you. Bitterness, bitter hatred or harshness. Don't act that way towards each other. Wrath, I put that in there because that is, there's several words for that, but that is the Greek word orge. It means that to be in close proximity with someone for a long time and you begin to build up opposition in your heart, toward, in your heart towards them. They just rub you the wrong way. And so it just builds up, it builds up, it builds up, it builds up, and finally, just like a ripe piece of fruit, when you just barely that thing, that juice explodes everywhere. Because you never dealt with the opposition. You didn't have a crucial conversation to talk about what was going on. That's that word. Letter C, anger. That's the Greek word thumos. 
It means a sudden outburst of anger, like a volcano erupting. It's different from orge in this sense. That wrath happened over prolonged exposure. This is talking about walking in the door. I walk in the door and my poor wife comes up to me and just goes, hey, how was your day? And I just go, I go Hulk smash for no reason at all and dump hot lava on her. That's that word. We don't want to do that. Clamor, shouting with great emotion. E, evil speaking. Slander. Other translations say backbiting. Can I tell you this is a big one? This is a big one. Somebody says something to you that you're not super fond of. They get a little sandpaperish with you. And then you go run around and talk to all these other people about it. You're offended and now you're out there trying to build your offensive line. I need me a team of people that will be offended on my team with me. I know nobody here's done that. Nobody. The word tells us what to do. Again, I'm trying to help you live a blessed life. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother wrongs you, go and show him his fault. Between you and him, how? Privately. If he listens to you, you've won your brother back. You go to them privately. It doesn't say go run and try to get somebody else on your team because now you're trying to divide. It says go to him. It may just be a misunderstanding. It may just be, oh man, I didn't understand that what I said meant that to you. I apologize. Hmm. That's a big one. F, malice. That's just vicious disposition or spite. Boy, that's ugly. So let's look at some things to promote unity, promoting unity. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. It opens with a real powerful but simple word, be. It's saying, here's the idea behind it. You used to be this, all that stuff that it said, put all that old stuff off, and now be this. And what's it start with? Be kind. It means to be useful, gentle, and pleasant to the brothers. Letter B, be compassionate. Other translations say tenderhearted. The whole concept behind it is being full of mercy. To be merciful, just like God was to us. This is what it says. It says, just like in Christ, God forgave you. You see, mercy is not giving somebody what they do deserve. Not giving somebody what they do deserve. God is full of mercy in regards to us. We deserve death for our sin. It's what we deserve. But God who is rich in mercy gives us eternal life. He doesn't give us what we deserve because he's full of mercy. And that's what this says that we're supposed to be to one another. Hmm. Let her see. Forgive. Forgive. (laughs) That means to freely give a grace-filled pardon because that's what God did to us. Mercy is not giving somebody what they do deserve. Grace is giving somebody what they don't deserve. And that's what forgiveness is. Somebody wrongs you, they probably don't deserve your forgiveness but you gave them a grace-filled 
pardon, whether they ask for it or not. There are gonna be people that don't ask for it, trust me. It's gonna happen. But you can still extend a grace-filled pardon in your life. Let me give you three truths about forgiveness. Three truths about forgiveness. Forgiveness is often a process and not an event. Forgiveness is often a process and not an event. If you come over to my house and you eat my last slice of pepperoni pizza or my last slice of beloved cheesecake and you come to me and say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go, yeah, don't worry about it. It's a one-time event. But there are some abuses that can take place that require a process. Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. That means every single morning, every single time that you think about that offender and the offense, whatever abuse it was, you use your mouth to make a confession of faith and you say, Lord, I forgive such and such. I forgive them, Lord. I forgive them. I forgive them. And you do it until it becomes a reality in your heart. I'm going to give you another little a little key to that. If you begin to pray for that person, it'll quicken the process. If you tell God that you forgive them and you begin to walk in that and then you start praying for them, you begin to realize that if they treated you that way, it's because they're a very broken, busted human that needs the life, love, and power of Jesus Christ. And from that place, you can freely forgive because all of us have been there. My gosh. I can't tell you how many people I hurt when I wasn't a Christian. But if we'll keep that in mind, then we can forgive. Number two, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. The ultimate goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. I will say that. But there may be reasons that reconciliation will never happen. Maybe you had an abusive parent that passed away. You can still forgive them. Reconciliation isn't gonna happen this side of heaven. Or maybe they have a pattern of abuse, habits in their life that make it not safe for you to do life with them. That's up to them. You can't fix that. Look at Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. As the saying goes, you just do you, okay? You just do your part, which is to forgive. It doesn't have anything to do with what they're doing. It doesn't mean they have to come to you and ask for forgiveness. You do you, just forgive. It's for you, it's not even for them. And number three, forgiveness is often painful, but only for a moment. Its price is paid on a cross of self-denial. Luke 23, 34, spoken by our Savior at crucifixion. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's forgiving from a place of pain. He is nailed to a cross of self-denial. He is the king of kings. And at any moment, he could have charged a myriad of angels to come and rescue him. All he had to do was utter the word. But he chose to allow himself to be on that cross. And how did he do it? Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him. 
he endured the cross for the joy set before him. It was a temporary pain and he knew it, but he knew that what was gonna come on the other side of it was full of joy. You can forgive and focus on the joy that you know that is coming on the other side because you're now gonna be walking in God's commanded blessing. So you can endure, you can hold up through it. It's only for a season, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. But all of this starts with the common thread of Christ, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.